In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our Gen Con online seminar coverage. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, uh, Gen Con. Welcome to our Pathfinder Adventure Path panel. We'll be answering all your questions about Shoonies for the next hour and uh, pretty much talking about nothing else. Uh, just kidding. Uh, my name is Patrick Greeny. I'm a Pathfinder developer on the Adventure Path line, uh, and today we'll be talking about Agents of Edgewatch. We'll be talking about uh, some of the other exciting uh, Adventure Paths coming up. I'll let, I'll let my fellow uh, co-hosts speak to that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Right, and I'm Ron Lundeen. I am also a developer on the Pathfinder Adventure Path line. Um, I'd have to say my favorite Shuni art is the one fishing where he's got a fish and his tongue's up like, oh, I got it. <laughs> anyway, there you and I'm James Jacobs. I'm the creative director for Pathfinder. Um, I am going to plead the fifth on talking about Shunis. <laughs> it's, it's too close to your heart, I'm sure. Yeah, it's too <laughs> close it. to something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be pulling up a slideshow here so you can uh, uh, kind of check out some of the cool art for uh, our adventure paths coming up. And uh, and we're really stoked to share that with you. And and at the end, we'll be answering some questions. So uh, be sure to get your questions in on the, the Twitch chat. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll scan through that near the end of this presentation and, uh, and answer those to the best of our ability. So um, yeah, without further ado, we'll check out the, the first slide on the slideshow. And uh, that should show us, uh, uh, let's see, the title card of some sort. And then, uh, and then the next one, <laughs> which will be uh, about Agents of Edgewatch. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this adventure path. We're, we're wrapping up the final volumes of it right, right now, this, this very week. So uh, that should tell you where we are at the process. And uh, the, the first one has just come out. That would be uh, Pathfinder number 157, Devil at the Dreaming Palace by James L. Sutter. Uh, really looking forward to, to seeing how folks like uh, this adventure path. It basically sees you as uh, newly enlisted city guards in Absalom, our city at the center of the world, the, the metropolis of all metropolises in Pathfinder. And uh, you're part of the newly formed Edgewatch, which has been uh, put together basically uh, in order to protect and serve people while the uh, once per century Radiant Festival is on its, is on its way. So the Radiant Festival celebrates the failed siege of Carnus the Angel Binder uh, over 3,000 years ago, uh, one of the many failed sieges on Absalom. And uh, this once per century festival is a huge World's Fair level kind of a thing that draws visitors from all around the world. And so uh, so as, as a city guard, your job is to protect the tourists and the uh, citizens of Absalom. In the first adventure, Devil at the Dreaming Palace, you solve a uh, oh and just just so everyone is aware there will be some uh, i'd say medium level spoilers for these adventure paths uh so so if you're really uh if you're going to be playing in one of these and don't want to know maybe do some of this every now and then but uh yeah the first one uh devil at the dreaming palace sees you kind of uh take on your first rookie assignments get a get a lay of the land um you know uh help some help some people solve some disputes at the at the radiant festival and uh, then 
uh, you get involved in basically a murder mystery. You find out that someone is uh, not doing good stuff, is kidnapping tourists and and uh, taking them to a, taking them to his uh, murder hotel. So uh, very heavily inspired by uh, uh, a book called uh, Devil of the Devil at the White City by Eric Larson. So if you're a fan of H.H. Uh, H. Holmes kind of mysteries and and that kind of level of uh, uh, intrigue, then this will be right up your alley. I think the uh, following volume number 158 is called 60 feet under that's written by michael sayer and that is uh you you start to unravel a plot that that began with the murder mystery you hear about this nefarious group of cultists called the twilight four and uh they worship norgabur our uh, god of thievery and murder and uh and all sorts of mayhem and you uh ultimately delve into the catacombs to take care of this uh, skin sock cult. So uh, if we could go ahead and see the next slide, then uh, we can see some awesome art from that. And uh, so what, what's cool about the catacombs and, and Absalom is they're, they're this massive, you know, the city's 5,000 years old almost. And uh, there's just this massive graveyard, basically this subterranean complex. Mm -hmm. And so some Skinsaw cultists who uh, are, are uh, worshipers of the father Skinsaw aspect of Norgobur, uh, they, they've taken up residence there. They're kidnapping, uh, you know, uh, fair visitors and they're, they're sacrificing them to their foul deity. And uh, so you, your job quickly becomes, uh, you know, to stop that and make sure that's not happening. And, uh, and this is where it really the AP begins to take you all over Absalom. You start in the precipice quarter, which is this ruined kind of earthquake shattered uh, uh, corner where they've just revitalized it for the fair, but it's, it's still a bit ragged. And then this, this second adventure takes you to the ascendant uh, court, which is the uh, where the Starstone Cathedral and uh, a bunch of temples to the various deities, including the ascended deities who, who achieved uh, uh, godhood through the Starstone. This is where they're all at. So you're, you get a taste of that part of, uh, of Absalom. Uh, following that in 159, uh, which is called All or Nothing, you are taken to the Docks District, and that's, uh, that's where you, you get involved in some uh, gang warfare going on, some, some uh, Docks-based uh, you know, gangs are, are uh, wreaking havoc on the street, and you need to uh, basically facilitate a meeting between the two gang leaders or put a stop to their feud, at least, so that no more innocent people get hurt. And... Uh, that quickly uh, takes you further into the, this whole plot with the Twilight Four. And, and you're trying to figure out this whole time, you know, what exactly is going to happen with these cultists. You're not sure what their ultimate plan is, but you learn a bit more about them. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this volume in particular, All or Nothing, because there's a, a great Ocean's Eleven style kind of casino heist chapter where you have to basically break into the casino uh, undercover. You know, you have to, to pretend you're, you're high rollers and uh, get in good with the casino owner in order to get into the vault and find the evidence that you need without alerting him to the, the fact that the, the, the fuzz is onto him. Uh, and then uh, uh, that, oh, sorry, that one is written by Jason Keeley. Um, so that's, that's going to be uh, really cool. I'm really excited for that one. Following that, uh, number, uh, uh, what are we up to? That would be 159. So 160 is the fourth one. And that is written by none other than uh, our, our developer, Ron Lundin here. Uh, also very exciting. That one sees you go undercover into a... Uh, a conference uh, for the Blackfingers aspect of 
uh, of Norgabur, which is the poisoner aspect. So he's kind of this um, quartet god. He represents four different aspects, which is kind of why there's a, a the Twilight Four is this these mastermind cultists trying to pull off this scheme. Each one represents a different facet of Norgabur's profile. So uh, his Black Fingers aspect uh, is the poisoning aspect, and you you basically have to sneak into a conference full of alchemists and poisoners, and uh, in order to uh, to, to see what's going on there and ultimately arrest the uh, priest of Blackfingers, uh, the high priest of Blackfingers who leads the temple. That volume is called Assault on Hunting Lodge 7 because you have to, ultimately there's this down, you know, downpour outside and there's this bureaucratic mix up. Nobody knows who's gonna take charge for this priest of Blackfingers. And uh, you have to hole up in an old hunting lodge, which is Absalom's old adventuring guilds, uh, you know, kind of these occult uh, strange places where things used to go down, but now they don't. Uh, and so you, you have to hole up in there, wait out the storm, wait out the bureaucratic nonsense and keep your prisoners safe in the meanwhile. All, all of course, uh, you know, things don't go according to plan necessarily. You know, people are trying to break in and free him or break in and, uh, and destroy him. So you're, you're trying to stave off the waves of, of, uh, assassins and, uh, and his accomplices. Uh, following that, you, uh, you make your way to a haunted uh, kind of fairground at the end of that book, so that, which is very cool. Uh, and you're basically implicated in the theft of this giant, uh, the players are implicated in the theft of this giant excavator, which was a, a giant machine that was used to carve out the precipice quarter for the Radiant Festival. So uh, you and, and the uh, acting Primarch actually get kind of framed for this thing. So that leads into the fifth volume, which is... Uh, which is called, uh, sorry, just having a brain fart. Um, uh, the fifth volume, which is written by Cole Cronwitter and is called Belly of the Black Whale. And as you might guess from the title, that takes you into uh, kind of Absalom's criminal underworld a little bit more. You're, you're going rogue because you've been framed for this thing. You've had your badges taken away. You're no longer honorable you know, officers of the law. Uh, and you have to basically clear your names and clear the Primarch's name as well. So. It has this uh, awesome prison break kind of chapter where you go to the Black Whale, which is a, uh, a waterborne um, uh, collection of galleys, like six or seven different ships that, com that compose this, uh, this prison, the hardest prison to get out of an Owl of Absalom, right? That's where only political, you know, uh, really high, high rollers and, and political bigwigs go to get locked up. So you have to free the Primarch and then, uh, then you go about clearing your name by finding uh, the rumor monger who is the that's the code name for the third member of the twilight four that you discover and he's the uh the aspect of norgobor that he worships is secret keeping and and uh, and sharing secrets and kind of a, a false information and stuff like that so uh so yeah at the end of that volume you arrest the uh third member of that and then the sixth volume is called runes of the radiant siege that's written by uh amber stewart and uh that's the one we're, we're wrapping up right now. And uh, that one takes you to the, the ruins beneath Fort Tempest, which is where uh, Starwatch is located. Uh, and and you're, you're part of Edgewatch to begin with, as the name of this APA suggests, Agents of Edgewatch. But you do, uh, you get involved with other precincts around Absalom and you're ultimately promoted to the Starwatch, which is kind of the, the inter-agency, the inter-district agency, the kind of a higher authority there. So you have to go 
beneath the ruin in the ruins beneath Fort Tempest, which is where one of Star Watch's uh, that's one of Star Watch's headquarters. And uh, you have to go down there, find an artifact in order to called the Radiant Spark in order to uh, defeat the final member of the Twilight Four who has uh, ascended to uh, a level of power heretofore unknown to uh, cultists of Nordgar. So you really want to make sure she doesn't uh, get her way for the sake of Absalom. And uh, that's pretty much the, uh, yeah, if we want to go to the next slide, we can see some more awesome art from this AP. It's been a hoot to work on. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how folks like it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited. That takes us to uh, our next uh, point. Uh, uh, I'd like to introduce Ron again. Ron will be talking about the AP he's been working on. Yeah, that one is uh, the Abomination Vaults. If we can get to the Abomination Vaults uh, slide, I think it's the next one. The, uh, the big change that we've made here in the Abomination Vaults is unlike our past adventure paths, which are six volumes long, this one is three volumes long. Uh, this will take characters from first or 10th level of play. You ended about 11th level. This one is about the mega dungeon. This is a uh, multi-level dungeon that exists uh, fairly near Absalom, but right near a little town called Otari, which is featured in our beginner box, uh, which is featured in our uh, it Pathfinder Adventures line with the Troubles in Otari adventure. Uh, this is a really great starting place for a lot of the uh, for a lot of new campaigns. And we've got this three-part AP that starts right there. Uh, the AP has, the Adventure Path has three volumes. Uh, the first one is Ruins of Gauntlet, uh, written by James Jacobs, uh, which it, it's filled with, with everything that makes James' writing awesome. It's, it's silliness plus horror, and sometimes in the very same encounter um, that, is, that is great. In Ruins of Gauntlet, this eerie landlocked lighthouse uh, suddenly starts to give off a baleful glow and uh, the heroes are the ones who are tasked to find out about it. Uh, they do know that there was some you know, hundreds of years ago there was an important fight here that actually led to the town of Otari being founded uh, but something's going on now and the, the something reveals that there are in fact multiple dungeon levels underneath uh, Gauntlet uh, and these multiple dungeon levels are the Abomination Vaults. The wicked person that created them is is now back. And uh, the the monsters that have been in this, that were stalked in this dungeon of, have now either come back into being or they've been there all along and have their own ecosystems and their own interrelations with each other. Um, so in the first adventure, the heroes go through the top the top part of the Abomination Vaults. Um, the second adventure, Hands of the Devil, written by Vanessa Hoskins, uh, is about the middle parts of the, the dungeon that have all been taken over by a uh, contract devil who's got a, a deal to follow and he won't be dissuaded from this deal and whether the heroes help him to complete the deal uh, or uh, try to foil him from doing so is the, the thrust of that adventure. The third adventure, Eyes of Empty Death, written by Stephen Radney McFarlane, is the, uh, the lowest levels and the, the biggest, most 
sort of natural cavern filled sprawling levels of the abomination vaults um, where they confront the uh, the evil person who's behind this, uh, who's a follower of one of the uh, most sort of creepy uh, and uh, cool uh, outer gods that we have in our setting. And uh, the effects of that have sort of suffused the entire abomination vaults. Uh, so one of the things that I think is really neat about this is it it is it is easy to build a mega dungeon that is just corridor and room after corridor and room filled with monsters that you bash and take their treasure and get better. Uh, but what what we've done is we've we've tried very hard to interweave several stories, side quests, interesting NPCs you're going to find in places you least expect it, right? Not only will you be finding terrible monsters and creepy aberrations, but you'll be finding um, people and creatures that really need the hero's help uh, or not, if the heroes are inclined to give it. Uh, you may find a, a, very, a very sudden battle of the bands going on, uh, some weird hunting challenges. There's, there's a lot going on in the Abomination Vaults. Uh, one of the things we've also done is to make sure that there is so much stuff, so much adventure to be had that not only does this adventure work particularly well if you're deciding to use slow advancement, requiring a little more XP for your characters to advance, they'll still get up to the right levels that they need. Um, but we've got so many different sort of interwoven plots here that there's really no way that any group could do this all the same way with all of the different interconnections and the different side quests and so on, um, which keeps it, uh, we think, sort of fun and fresh. Not only exciting the first time you go through it, but uh, if you then go run it for another group, then you've got all entirely different experiences and entirely different people. There is a big anchor to the town of Otari sort of throughout. There are several places where the story sort of nudges the heroes to go back to town in order to pick up something that they need or deliver something they found or talk to the people that they made friends with in, in the town of Otari. So there's a real to and from the mega dungeon from the little small town feel to this whole thing. It's uh, the, the thing that is, is most interesting, most difficult, I'd say, but most interesting to me from a developer point of view is Extinction Curse, the adventure path that, that I did, that I developed before this one has a very specific sort of through line that it goes through. Event, you know, this event's going to happen and the heroes are going to go here and then these events are going to happen. So it's a, it's a more uh, consistent narrative. And a, a mega dungeon, by its very nature, lacks a consistent narrative. The heroes can go anywhere. They could, they could bump into this person that solves this quest before they even know the quest is going to happen. And then once they get there, Oh, we were just there. We've got this answer for you. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, uh, that makes it feel, frankly, makes it feel a little less, um, a little less scripted, a little more alive where the heroes kind of make their own narrative as they go through. Uh, it's a little bit of a development challenge. Every time I'm at a story point, I'm like, all right, well, they heroes might not have hit all the story points before this, how do we communicate that? How do we address that? Um, but it's great. It's great fun. And I'm really enjoying developing it. I am uh, sort of, you know, el elbows deep into that, uh, that work. And it is a ton of fun. I think, Patrick, you're still muted. 
Oh, no. Thanks, Ron. I sure oh, was. Yep. Yep. <laughs> next up. Uh, 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 thanks, Ron. Yeah, I appreciate that. And then uh, next, James will be telling us about what he's been working on lately on the Adventure Path line. Hey, uh, before that, don't we have any pictures to show for Abomination Vault, Ron? Who is also muted? Oh my no, goodness! Not. Yes. So here's a, here's a, we do have a couple things about Abomination Vault. We don't have any of the sort of adventure art or covers yet to, that are final to show off. I, I just just recently saw them, and I am thrilled, but the timing didn't work to get them into our presentation. But, oh boy, do we have a bunch of monsters. One of the ones that we've got, uh, if we can get the next slide, there are Morlocks aplenty under the surface of the Earth, including different kinds of Morlocks. Um, Morlocks are really good with, with sort of tinkering with old or failing or fallen technology. Some are better at it than others. So our next slide is a Morlock Engineer, uh, which is a, uh, a creature we've got. Um, I had mentioned that uh, one of the outer gods that, that sort of suffuses this, it's actually the outer god Nimbaloth, who is the, the patron of, of swamps and ghosts and will-o'-wisps and that sort of creepy nastiness. Will-o'-wisps themselves aren't undead, but ooh, they can be. So if we can get the next slide, um, a uh, corpse light is a uh, undead will-o'-wisp that feeds upon uh, 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 other dead creatures in order to steal their essence and get them up and moving around. And so we've got some creepy art of a corpse light about to do its sinister work. Um, so thank you, James, for the reminder. I wanted to show off a couple of those neat monsters that we've got. Yeah, no worries. Um, so uh, we've also got coming up uh, quite a bit later after Abomination Vault, we've got the the fancy new uh, anniversary edition of Kingmaker. And this is something that we crowdfunded a, a while back. It's something I've been working on pretty much nonstop for the last several months. Um, this is, uh, you You may have seen, we've done these before with like Rise of the Rune Lords and Curse of the Crimson Throne, uh, taking an adventure path we've previously published, updating it to the more, the, the current rule set, and then um, kind of just throwing it all into one big book. Uh, Kingmaker is the biggest one of these we've done yet. Whereas you get something like uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne came in at about 500 pages. The Kingmaker Adventure Path is coming in at 640 pages. So there's a lot of brand new content. Um, it's still very much in the development stage. Uh, we're just now starting to kick things over to editors to have them do their first passes over it. It's going to have, uh, it's all going to be updated to second edition Pathfinder. Um, we will have a, a book out that will help you run it in first edition Pathfinder. We'll have a book out that'll help you run it in 5e. But uh, the focus of it is, is hundreds and hundreds of pages of updated Adventure Path of one of our most popular Adventure Paths we've ever done. Um, and it's sort of in the same case as Abomination Vault, where we've still got some of the art coming in. And uh, I figured I'd just throw a few pieces up here to show off and uh, let people see what sort of, you know, new stuff, old stuff uh, you can expect with Kingmaker. So if we can get the next slide and I'll talk a little bit about uh, Kingmaker going forward. Uh, Kingmaker is an adventure path that we designed after everybody, uh, all of our customers, fans, everyone was asking for a sandbox game. And the whole point of Kingmaker is that your adventurers are sent down into this wilderness region called the Stolen Lands and you are expected to, to basically defeat the bandits that live there, fight the monsters, and build your own kingdom in this unclaimed territory. And the adventure path, it follows your character's exploration of the stolen lands, the building of their kingdom. They start, you start clashing against local, you know, other 
uh, uh, local kingdoms and nations and all of that. And the, the storyline, the through line of the entire thing is really kind of left up to how you, the players, want to explore this whole thing. Um, and uh, there is, you know, there's a few big bad end people in the lurking in the background doing their own thing against your kingdom, but that's not really the whole driving force of the storyline. When we first published Game Maker, uh, we really, really leaned into the sandbox element of it. And um, turns out a lot of people wanted more of a, a presence of the uh, the villains behind the scenes. Um, so in this version, we we punched that up a little bit. Of course, Kingmaker also got uh, picked up by Alcat uh, Games and turned into a really pretty awesome uh, computer game, which should be coming out in a few weeks, I believe, on consoles, Xbox and PlayStation. And uh, so that version of Kingmaker brought an entire new element of stuff. They added a prologue where you get your, your, your initial you know, assignment, your charter to go down and, and uh, settle the, uh, the stolen lands. There's uh, some encounters halfway through, like with the Season of Bloom with the Cult of Lamashu that comes in and messes with your kingdom. And there is uh, a, a coda to the entire campaign where you fight one of the, uh, all of these um, uh, just powerful phase. So if we uh, move on to the next slide, we can start seeing some of the art that we uh, have, have built up for this. Um, we've also got some brand new, brand, brand new content, uh, including a, uh, a dungeon underneath the uh, town of, uh, or not town, the ruins of Candlemere, which uh, Ron Lundin jumped on to, to write. So that, that was handy. Uh, we've got a lot of new other encounters. Uh, we got a lot of help from uh, uh, Legendary Games. And they did the initial pass of going through here, adding new encounters, converting a lot of the computer game stuff. Uh, it's a team of like two dozen or a dozen or a lot of authors. And um, they went through and, and kind of gathered everything together, got the kingdom building rules, the settlement building rules, uh, the mass combat rules, all of those kind of in a, in a one mega document. And then I've been going through and um, continuing to develop that. Uh, and uh, so this whole thing is taking, it's taking longer than we anticipated. It's now looking like it's gonna be coming out uh, second half of the year in 2021, 21, I believe. So late next year. We originally were hoping to get it out late this year, but it's, it's not gonna happen, unfortunately. So uh, then we can get the next slide up. As you can see, uh, that, that last one was uh, our iconic druid Lenny and her, her Snow Leopard Dugami going up against some lizard folk, which you may, if you've played through Kingmaker before, you may remember that encounter. This next one, uh, one of the interesting things about this adventure path is it allows us to re-illustrate uh, content that we never illustrated before. When we first did Kingmaker, uh, it was, like I said, 10 years ago, it was the first adventure path we created that we had actual rules for Pathfinder in-house and in a complete shape that we could, we could work with. Uh, the previous one, Council of Thieves, was the first Pathfinder adventure path. We had to build that concurrently with the rules themselves being finished off. So as a result, we had, you know, we were, had spent a lot of our, our resources and time and everything illustrating the core rulebook and the best story and all of that. So we, we uh, Kingmaker was kind of art light the first time through. So now we're getting to uh, show new art and uh, just show off a lot of the new content that we've got for the game. Uh, let's get the next slide. I think we've got three in all. Um, but yeah, stuff like uh, showing Amiri, like we we just showed uh, as the actual, in this case, queen of the stolen lands with people bringing in our treasure. Um, we've got on our blog a couple more pieces of art as well. If you want to go check that out, it was a couple, a week or two ago with like a weird mutant chimera with like a centipede head and a snake head and a vulture head. And um, 
Yeah, so it's it's one of the biggest projects we've ever taken on. Like I said, the Adventure Path itself is 640 pages. There's another book coming along called the um, the Companion Guide, which has another 120 pages of side quests and NPC companions that you can find and join up with, taken from the Alcat video game. Um, and then, of course, the first edition, uh, Pathfinder, and the fifth edition, Dungeons & Dragons bestiaries that take all of the stat blocks and do the work for you so you don't have to do all that conversion work if you want to run it in another system of your choice. Um, so yeah, that's Kingmaker in a nutshell. Uh, I think that um, that last that that this, this last image here was one that I really, I really, it's, what, like I was saying, we, we didn't have enough you know money and time and stuff to get all of these illustrations. We barely had anything illustrating the first world, which is the realm of the Fae, which, uh, slight spoiler, is part of this this creepy influence that's coming into Ministry Kingdom. So we're going to have more illustrations of what's going on in the first world, like giant mandragoras coming out of the jungle to attack your characters. So, yeah. Um, and I think that's the last uh, image we have for Kingmaker. Um, I'm going to kick it back to Patrick now to talk about uh, the adventure path that's coming after Abomination Bolts. Thanks, James. Yeah, we can uh, go ahead and check out the next slide. Uh, we'll have a we have a rough logo of the of the AP coming after Abomination Bolts, and that is called Fists of the Ruby Phoenix. It's it's been ten years since we covered the. Uh, uh, once a decade fighting tournament called the uh, Ruby Phoenix tournament. And so in, in since our real world calendar lines up with our in-world calendar in Pathfinder, uh, it's time for the tournament to, to happen again. And uh, this time we're going to, instead of doing a module, the last, the last time we covered this was a 32-page module written by Tim Hitchcock 10 years ago. And uh, now we're giving it uh, three volumes of Adventure Path and a follow on the heels of Abomination Vaults. Uh, as Ron mentioned, we're trying this kind of, uh, we're experimenting with this three volume arc. And so rather than start you at first level though, because this is, this is the fighting tournament in Galarian, you know, this is, this is the one you go to if you're, if you're the strongest of the strong, uh, this one starts you off at 11th level, which means that you can quite easily, uh, transition from abomination vaults, which takes you from first to 10th level. Uh, you can you can uh, right on the heels of that you can jump into this Ruby Phoenix tournament if you if you want to put your dungeon delver to the test, and uh, I'm I'm really excited for this uh, this adventure path. It um, it gives us a lot more room to uh, describe the tournament and kind of get into the most interesting details about it. Uh, the uh, uh, first volume is called Despair on Danger Island, and that is written by uh, our developer Luis Loza. And uh, that is going to uh, take you to the, the pre preliminary qualifying event, basically, that comes before the actual tournament itself. And that is a, uh, a kind of battle royale style, uh, 32 teams or 16 teams or however many are on this island, uh, this tropical deserted island uh, in the middle of the ocean. And you all have to basically duke it out and uh and get these tokens and if you if you get 10 tokens then you're in the tournament but there's only 80 tokens so you gotta make sure you're you're one of the one of the final eight basically um so really excited to draw some uh inspiration from uh you know some sandbox games and stuff like that you're, you're dropped off on this island and you uh, uh it's totally freeform basically how you choose to handle it and who you want to encounter and the relationships you build with your fellow competitors so that leads into the second volume which is called ready fight and that's written by david and ross 
and that is a uh, that is the tournament itself, right? So that takes up uh, uh, you know that's the middle portion of the adventure path, and that is the Ruby Phoenix tournament. This is the first tournament, uh, Ruby Phoenix tournament since the uh, the eponymous Ruby Phoenix, who is a sorcerer named Hao Jin. Uh, it's her. It's the first time this this tournament's been run since she returned back to the material plane from her three hundred year sojourn to to other planes throughout the multiverse, like Axis and all that stuff. The the you know material plane was just too boring for this super powerful sorcerer. So uh, she was basically while she was gone, they were giving away her treasures, her massive you know from her massive treasure vault. That's the prize for winning this tournament is you get a, you get one treasure from her vault. Now that Hao Jin's back. She has a bit, uh, you know, more of a hand in the tournament itself. So you get to know her, get to meet this super powerful sorcerer. And uh, of course, when a super powerful, a super powerful sorcerer is involved, uh, she has plenty of super powerful enemies who are uh, more than happy to disrupt her, her tournament. So, uh, so during the second volume in the middle of the tournament, you know, you, you get to do these uh, cool bracket tournaments and basically face off against each of the other teams. Uh, and, but, before the uh, before you you know, you know not everything goes to plan and uh, a massive uh, kaiju uh, summon, summoned or uh, uh, at least enlisted by uh, the 80s villain gets involved and so you kind of have to put the tournament aside for a second while you save the city from complete and total destruction. I should mention that actually also that this uh, the tournament itself takes place in Goka, which is our, our um, gateway to the west city. It's uh, in Tian Sha. Um, and it's kind of a Hong Kong analog. It's this very cool uh, cosmopolitan um, city uh, uh, where the tournament is held every year or every uh, 10 years, sorry. Uh, so once you, you take care of all the, the mayhem that's happening uh, you know, uh, around the tournament, then you kind of have to uh, find out where did Hao Jin go? She kind of disappeared amid all this chaos. And, and since she's the grandmaster judge, she's the, the uh, grand judge of the whole thing. Um, you kind of need her there so you can officially win the, the tournament. So you have to go hunt her down. And uh, that leads into the third volume of the Adventure Path, which is called King of the Mountain. That's written by James Case, uh, one of our uh, developers on the Pathfinder Society line. And uh, uh, he, uh, that, that is a really cool one because it takes you across the Wall of Heaven Mountains, which is the mountain range around Goka. And that's kind of a very... Uh, uh, you know, snowy, uh, super high mountains, wall of heaven, you know, the name suggests is pretty tall. So uh, you're going up there and uh, there are plenty of other competitors who also want to find Hao Jin uh, because, uh, you know, whoever finds her first probably uh, looks pretty good in her eyes and that might influence the, the final winner of the tournament. So you're trying to solve this mystery and I won't give away too much. It's kind of a, uh, uh, there's kind of a twist basically. So um You'll just have to kind of wait and check that out when it when it comes out. But I'm really excited for this uh, fighting tournament AP. It's we're going to draw a lot of uh, inspiration from games like Tekken or Street Fighter and stuff like that. Uh, these video games that were near and dear to my heart as a as a younger uh, man when I would go to a uh, younger boy really go to the you know the round table pizza in town and play the arcade machines and stuff like that. So um, you know what's a fighting tournament without some 2D uh, fighting, you know, arenas to fight on and stuff. So we're going to play with uh, the battlefields a lot in this in this AP and kind of really try out some new stuff that I'm really excited to play with in the second edition of Pathfinder. It's going to be a, a really fun time, I think. And that kind of uh, takes us to 
our uh, Q&A segment. Yeah, I don't have much else to say about Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, but look forward to that after Abomination Balls. But uh, yeah, now we're going to enter the Q&A portion. And uh, basically anyone who has a question, feel free to pop it into the Twitch chat and we'll uh, get to them as we see them. Uh, you know, we'll kind of round table it. I actually saw one that uh, popped oh, yeah. Go for up it. while people are, are getting their questions in uh, about Kingmaker. Someone was asking, uh, is it a, just a revamp or is there new content? Um, I mentioned this uh, when we were talking about Kingmaker back a little bit ago. Uh, the new adventure path is 640 pages long. So if you just do the math and you look at the six adventures we originally published, each one of those is around 50 pages, I would say. So um, maybe 55 pages, depending upon the volume. So there is overall, uh, including the expansion to the kingdom building material and the war, uh, the mass combat, narrative mass combat stuff, we've more or less doubled the size of, of Kingmaker. It's really a full-on adventure path sandbox style thing. We've got, my guess would be probably enough new material that if we'd published it separately, it would have been maybe a 200-page book, 150-page book. So there's a lot of new content. If you do every single encounter in this Kingmaker hardcover, you're going to hit 20th level well before you get to the last adventures because there's just so much stuff in here. It's a true sandbox. You can skip entire adventures and still be ahead of schedule because you decided to turn left instead of right. So a lot of the new content's taken from uh, the Alcat game and, and kind of translated back to uh, the tabletop experience. There's a lot of just brand new content no one outside of Paizo or Legendary has seen before. So it should be pretty exciting. Awesome. I see a couple of questions uh, about Ruby Phoenix tournament. Uh, uh, Zerg Titan 99 asks, uh, what is the Ruby Phoenix bloodline? Will it be made available in the third volume? And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a, a very much of an AP about the Ruby Phoenix if you didn't get the Ruby Phoenix bloodline for sorcerers, of course. So, uh, you know, I think you can fully expect us to make good on that implicit promise. Uh, and then uh, an, another user, I, I up there but uh someone asked if uh you know if you're not really interested in the fighting tournament plot line is there other stuff in this adventure path for you and i would say definitely because uh you know if um if if gold and and glory aren't your thing then there's danger and heroics to be had as well you know the city is put into danger and uh you know there's something afoot so if you're just looking for an adventure where you can be the, the heroes and save the day, then that, that'll come, it'll, it'll scratch that itch as well. Saw another uh, question uh, pop on from Shanwolf01. Um, ask, uh, is any content going to bring in mythic rules uh, with a innocent face involved in that? So mythic rules in first edition Pathfinder uh, was our solution for what happens when you hit 20th level, what happens beyond that. How do you, if you want to play like the son of, of Desna, or you want to play somebody who is like half ascended to divinity, or is just beyond what the rules do, uh, you, essentially you want to play a superhero. That's the point of mythic rules. And we went the route with mythic rules because we wanted that flavor to be something you could play at first level. You didn't have to play an entire campaign to get to it. Um, with second edition Pathfinder, a lot of the underlying math has been uh, refined and made more uh, supportive for whatever level. So you don't have this sort of degradation, degrading uh, math numbers that start kicking in at higher levels, which make uh, the difference between like the wizard's fortitude save and the fighter's fortitude save is so much that the fighter would always survive and the wizard would always fail. Uh, as a result, um, those specific needs that we needed Mythic to meet in first edition aren't necessarily in second edition. 
at this point, though, we don't have any plans to do anything, you know, for Mythic or something different that maybe goes beyond 20th level or anything like that. We have a brand new edition of the game. We just, this Gen Con with the release of Advanced Player's Guide, finally have what we call the core experience of Pathfinder out. So now going forward, we're going to start doing some new stuff, some more interesting, you know, new ways to play the game and to and explore the game. So we're going to be focusing in on those types of elements going forward. Um, something like uh, bringing in Kaiju into an adventure path. Uh, in first edition, they were, you know, CR 28, 29, 30. They were things that you couldn't fight if you were, you know, a low level character. And by low level, I need been including 20th level. And, uh, but I mean, you look at any Kaiju movie and the whole point of the Kaiju movie isn't the humans getting fistfights with Godzilla or Gamera. That's not what a Kaiju does. So there are other ways to have Kaiju in an adventure that you don't just run up and roll initiative on. Them. And if you do, you're going to get stepped on. So um, yeah, there's no plans at this point to do uh, mythic stuff for second edition. see what else and you see. guys see any questions in there um crazy stitch uh 519 asked uh can we expect to see any evil ap's at some point soon and uh i just i'll take this time to reiterate something i think i said during our PaizoCon panel which is that uh it's it's a lot easier to um slot a uh a, a traditional i guess i might say ap uh, for a group that wants to play evil characters, it's a lot easier to take one of our APs that you know we kind of uh, expect you to play a good or this neutral character most of the time. It's a lot easier to turn one of those into an evil AP than it is to turn an evil AP into a, an AP for good or neutral characters. So um, that's kind of why we don't touch the evil AP format very often, uh, just to, to give it a little bit more context. Yeah, I've, I've got in the back of my head, I kind of have been wanting to do a, a player characters are all Red Mantis Assassin's Adventure Path that I've wanted to do for like seven, eight years now. And uh, I mean, that would be an example in my head where we could do an evil adventure path that has enough, I guess, constraint, storyline constraints on the player characters that uh, you could pull that off. And still, if, if people didn't want to play evil characters, could still find a way to do it elsewhere. Or, or in another way. Tricky thing with evil adventure paths or any adventure path that goes too deep into one specific category um, is that you limit how many people want to play it. And that closes off that entire line for six months or for three months if we continue doing three-part ones. So it's really, we tend to try to make our adventure paths um, as adjustable as possible for entire groups. So if you want us to see, you know, if you want us to do an evil adventure path or something like that, uh, let us know. That's letting us know what adventure paths you want to see is a big, big um, influence on what we do. Um, somebody else asked if there was a uh, adventure path after Ruby Phoenix has been announced. Uh, we did not announce that here. We're not going to announce it at Gen Con. Um, traditionally, we would, but since we're doing two adventure paths, uh, three part of ones, we didn't want to, you know, steamroll over Ruby Phoenix and uh, with too many announcements. We will be announcing more content later in the year. Okay, can we can we announce is there an adventure path after Fists of the Ruby Phoenix or are we yeah. just done and washing no. our hands of adventure path? No. <laughs> there there is an adventure path after Fists of the Ruby Phoenix. Never, never fear. Never fear. That's right. I do. Uh, uh, let me jump in. I do want to point out for the evil question. Abomination Vaults is actually a great adventure path if your players want to be 
evil because there's enough going on there that if every time somebody says, hey, can you give me some help? Your player's like, well, we stab them with our swords and then we take their stuff and then we go gleefully on through the rest of the dungeon. It's not an adventure path where they will be falling too far behind because there's so much stuff going on. They can still have the full uh, first or 10th level adventure path experience, even if they are the biggest jerks to ever swing through Otari. Uh, Blue Cruise has a question I'd want to jump in on real quick. Uh, asks, uh, will some Iconics show up in Ruby Phoenix's sample winners of the previous Ruby Phoenix tournament that can be replaced by PCs at levels? Um, I'll let Patrick address that in a moment. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind is although our Iconic characters do have stories and personalities, uh, they are meant to be surrogates for your player characters. And so they actually, aside from being in, when we, we put them in illustrations, we're just using them in illustrations because we don't know what your player characters look like. So we have to do something. We throw in our iconics to do that. They don't actually have storylines in the adventure past themselves in a very few exceptions come to mind. In Return of the Rune Lords, part of the plot of that was the previous group of player characters have fallen into uh, trouble and they make cameos in the adventure. That one is set up so that um, your GM and your party has to decide who those characters are and we kind of dance around it. But we used like uh, Sioni and uh, Mauricio and Kira and a couple other um, of our Iconics. Again, just as stand-ins. They're like just uh, stunt doubles for your player characters. Uh, another one is then in Kingmaker. We've got uh, the companion guy, which has a bunch of information about other NPCs that can join you. Since these were all taken from uh, Alcat's game, and Alcat includes Amiri. That is the first time we've got Amiri having an actual story, an iconic having an actual storyline that interacts with us with the rest of the adventure path. But it's a weird sort of situation. It's it, it'd be like if you were running your home game, and like I busted into your house and said, "You've got to run one of my characters in there as a player character." It's it's weirdly invasive to have an iconic play a role in an adventure path, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so Patrick, how are, how are those uh, like previous uh, winners being handled? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it does take place canonically 10 years after the previous one, which uh, if you're familiar with the module um, and uh, to a certain extent, we did a, a whole Pathfinder Society, um, you know, plot line for a year that kind of went into Tian Shaw and stuff like that. So the um, in the in the module, the Pathfinder Society gets involved kind of uh, against a uh, group of criminals who are trying to fix the the tournament's outcome who are uh, called the golden league and uh you can be sure that there's sore feelings uh among the golden league and uh and uh there's definitely people who have made their fortunes you know from from the tournament in the past who will be making uh repeat appearances yeah so there's there's definitely some easter eggs and some and some treats in there for folks who uh are familiar with the previous uh ruby phoenix tournament uh uh Ikari Nokami asked uh, if it's easy to scale the uh, Ruby Phoenix tournament, you know, if you want to play it at a different level, if you want to run the tournament at 15th or 20th level. Just to clarify, the, uh, the first adventure in that three-part AP uh, starts you off at 11th level, and that takes you uh, all the way up to uh, 14th level, I believe. And then the second volume takes you all the way to 18th level. So when you're actually doing the tournament, you're going to be 14th, 15th, 16th level, uh, you know, and, and it should be, you know, the, the scaling in uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is very easy 
So it should be, uh, I think, very simple to scale it. You know, if you want to start a little bit earlier, start the tournament or start a little bit later, I think that'll be a really simple thing to do. One of the things that uh, made Ruby Phoenix starting at 11th level so, I mean, let me back up a little bit. The Ruby Phoenix tournament is the fight where the most powerful characters in the world come together and, you know, ready fight. The original adventure that we published uh, first level uh, for first edition, it was for uh, like the 14th level characters, the 13th level characters, if I remember correctly. So starting the Ruby Phoenix tournament adventure path at first level, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you'd have to spend over half the adventure path not doing anything with the Ruby Phoenix tournament because you're you're not world-class heroes at that point. You're not, you know, legendary fighters. You're just, you know, farmers who picked up a sword or, you know, a blacksmith who had to go fight against goblins or what, you know, the first little story is a different plot than what we wanted to do with Ruby Phoenix. So it's a case where doing a three-part adventure path lets us do a story we normally wouldn't be able to do. Uh, there is... Uh, I was going to say, uh, Kai Sepik uh, asks if there's going to be a map of Tian Sha anywhere in the Fist of Ruby Phoenix, and that was asked uh, a little bit farther up, too. Uh, you know, uh, there will definitely be some contextualization, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to promise anything, but uh, there is, you know, the, the first edition map of Tian Sha, if you're, if you're curious about that, but we'll, we'll probably print another or put it in a blog or something, at least, so you know where, where in the world you are in the context of the adventure path, of course. But we'll definitely be getting more in-depth maps of areas like uh, like the island where the the first you know preliminary round is set, and then also we'll be getting a very cool map of Goka, which is a whole daunting you know uh, aspect if you've ever mapped a, a metropolis you know <laughs> three or four hundred thousand people in it. So uh, yeah, there will definitely be some pretty awesome maps. I think what we're we're mainly focusing on with this adventure path though, Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, is uh, as really cool battle maps and. And making those because that's kind of the whole the whole uh, you know focal point of the AP is these fights, and we'll be using you know kind of uh, different rules subsystems like from the game mastery guide. There's a duels subsystem which is perfect for one on one rounds, and there's you know of course exhibition matches. So uh, you know all of the uh, the battle maps are going to take front and center stage in this in this adventure path for sure. Um. There was another question back there. Somebody was asking about, uh, oh, it fell off my screen. Oh, no. Um, somebody did mention uh, something about Humble Bundles and uh, that we should continue doing Humble Bundles. Obviously, we're going to keep doing them. And in fact, we've got a Humble Bundle going on right now. It's, it's a pretty amazing one. Uh, it's got, uh, uh, if you throw in, I think it's 30 bucks, you can actually have a, a physical copy of the second edition rulebook and um, ship to your house. And as with all humble bundles, you know you can you can adjust the sliders. Uh, this is going to a lot of a uh, really great uh, uh, um, charities. I don't remember all the it's like the NAACP and NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Carl yep. Brandon Society. Yeah, I got two out of three, but yeah. they're uh, you know very very much in support of uh, uh, Black Lives great Matter. causes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. You can find um, that by just googling Pathfinder uh, humble bundle. Yeah, and and it's if it's something that you've been interested in, kind of in the back of your mind, like oh that might be kind of something I want to move on. There are actually there are only a couple of days left, so now is the time to be moving on that. Us uh, D Caldem DC Caldemir asks uh, if the three part adventure path is received well, what regions and the potential story elements does the shorter one open up on Galarian? Uh, it doesn't really. It's, it's not so much that it opens up new regions. It gives us three chances to tell stories rather than two. 
So it allows us to, to do that. We're, we're going to wait and see how people react to three-part adventure pass once it's out. So we won't really know for sure till this time next year, we'll have our first guesses as to how it's going over. Um, people, I see people chanting next, 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 Geb, Geb, Geb. Uh, on our boards, people keep yelling Galt. Um, setting adventure paths in regions we haven't yet explored is kind of the whole point of an adventure path. I mean, with a few exceptions, uh, if you look at all our adventure paths, even the ones set in Varissia in the first three years of Pathfinder, they're all set in different parts of Varissia. We've almost adventure paths that go back and retread area we've already covered unless we're specifically doing a sequel adventure path. Um, so each adventure path we do that does not set in next makes it that the next adventure path we do will be set in next, if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, just keep keep tuned, uh, keep keep watch and uh, we'll, we have stuff planned for next um, and Yeb, uh, where or when we get to it, uh, it's sooner than it used to be, I guess I'll say. Well, I, uh, yeah, we're, we're about at time here. So I yep. uh, want to thank you all for watching. Uh, this has been great. I'm glad you're as excited for uh, the future of the Pathfinder Adventure Paths as we are. Yay. Thank Yay. you for running the show here. My pleasure. And you and I get to like run off and hide now, right? That's Except right. Ron, Up next, Ron, Ron, will be, Ron will be talking. And, uh, I got to talk a lot more about the Adventure Path. Or about right. uh, Abomination Vaults in particular. I'm very excited. Yay, Abomination Bolts. Awesome. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Cool. Thanks a lot. The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunas, Monica Marlowe, Vanessa Hoskins, Dustin Knight, and Andrew Sturtevant. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out nodirectionpodcast.com.